Welcome to the Littler Workplace Policy Institute podcast. Insider briefings on the latest legislative and regulatory developments affecting employers. Good afternoon. I'm Shannon Mead, Executive Director of Littler Mendelssohn's Workplace Policy Institute. I'm joined today by my colleague and co-chair of WPI, Michael Latito. Michael, welcome. It's good to be with you. Always good to be with you, Shannon. So we're devoting this discussion today to a topic of critical national importance, and that is the historic transformation of the American workforce. To start, I want to share some key data points from our fifth annual Labor Day report that was released just this week. The job level has finally recovered, yes, but the recovery has not been even because the hospitality and service sector are still lagging. They are down over 1.2 million jobs from their pre-pandemic numbers. The labor force participation rate is 1.3 percentage points below the pre-pandemic level. In addition to many women leaving the labor force due to childcare or elder care demands, participation among those ages 55 and older has yet to recover. There are approximately 5.2 million more jobs than unemployed workers, so the number of job openings continues to substantially exceed the number of unemployed workers, and very high employee quit rates persist, so the so-called great resignation continues. On the productivity front, hours and costs are rising, but output is falling, which has led to a 10.8% jump in unit labor cost. WPI is prioritizing workforce development among our many advocacy efforts, but it is also one of significant personal meaning and importance to you, Michael. Several years ago now, you created the Emma Coalition, which was set up as a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization devoted to educating policymakers about the displacement of workers given the advances in AI, artificial intelligence, robotics, and automation. Michael, what was your thinking and goal in setting up the coalition? And more importantly, who is Emma? Emma's my pride and joy. She's my first granddaughter. And so when we started the coalition, she was five. She's now taller than me, but let's not get too much into that. It's kind of humbling. The idea was to put an actual real life face onto workforce transformation, because there were all kinds of reports from McKinsey and everyone else under the sun with respect to what was going to be happening with workforce transformation as a result of Thai technologically induced displacement of employees. And I didn't think people were getting it uh, at a gut understandable level. So we decided to create the coalition naming after a real life person, because I thought that everybody could come together and recognize that we have a mutual obligation to make sure that we create a workforce that's right, not only for the people today uh, that are in the workforce and the people today that have dropped out of the workforce, but may want to come back to it. And the people today that don't want to come back to it, but might want to come back to it if we gave them the skills development in order to make it rewarding. And then also for all of the people that are about to enter the workforce. So that's, that's Emma. And that's one of my passions. So since that time, you have written and spoken extensively across the country on these issues and have emerged as a distinguished thought leader on workforce transformation. What is driving you and what is your personal connection to these issues? Well, I appreciate the, the question. I'm not sure 
how many people in the audience are going to be that interested in what drives me. What drives me is my own personal story, which is probably what drives all of us. I'm an only adopted child. My parents drove from New York to get me in Carbondale, Pennsylvania, and take me home when I was uh, five days old. And I had all kinds of childhood illnesses and almost died and what have you. My parents saved me. They sacrificed everything for me as an only adopted child. And the only thing they ever asked me was to try to make the country a better place. You get to my age, uh, you know, I don't buy green bananas and I'm trying to create this workforce transformation that we talk about all the time because kind of running out of time to do this. Uh, and I'm really, really motivated in order to get this done for a lot of reasons. But number one, it's to keep my promise to my mom and dad. And that became even more acute because last year through Ancestry.com, I actually found my half-sister, I just call her my sister, and my brother, who still live in the Carbondale area. And we went to visit uh, not only them, but we went to visit my birth mother. And I had a long talk with my birth mother um, at her gravesite. And it was a very emotional experience for me because she made an incredible sacrifice to give me up and to probably wonder from time to time uh, what the heck ever happened to me. And I'm really driven through the recognition of what my birth mother and what my parents did to make this a better place. And I can't think of any better way of doing that than providing workforce transformation. They sacrificed everything for me. And I want to live up to that, respect that, and thank them. And right now, I ain't doing so good. And so I'm not so happy about it. You often reference the 2020 book, Deaths of Despair, in your remarks. In fact, you shared a copy of that book with me. It's incredibly well-written. Um, it's written by two Princeton economists. The authors paint a troubling portrait of the American dream in decline. For one, they explain you know, why the overwhelming surge in deaths from suicide, drug overdose, and alcoholism are related to social and economic forces that are making life really hard for the working class, and specifically those without a college degree. What strikes you the most about this book, and what is the big takeaway insofar as solutions to rein it in? I read Deaths of Despair. It was recommended to me by our good friend, Mike Croson, and it had a huge impact on me. Right around the same time that I'd actually identified my birth mother, there was a lot of things that were happening that came together. And as I read Deaths of Despair, it became very clear to me that the incidence of suicide, opioid abuse, and alcoholism is driving our life expectancy rates lower, especially for those that do not have a college degree. This has been going on since the early 70s. There were some stats that came out the other day about how COVID over the last couple of years had also contributed to the lowering of our life expectancy. But that had been going on, at least for some segment of the population, uh, for some period of time. And if you pause just for a moment and think about the number of people in this country that are contemplating suicide, that have tremendous reliance upon opioid and alcoholism and have lacked hope, it is really a frightening and a totally completely unacceptable picture. Abby Cohen is now at Columbia, but she was the uh, 
futurist guru from Goldman Sachs fame. Um, she recently was in a, a Bloomberg piece where she wrote, or said rather, does every new family in the United States have the opportunity to do better than their parents did? Uh, well, stepping out of the quote, my parents sure had that expectation, and I sure helped fulfill it. But what we have seen, going back to Abby, over the last 30 or 40 years, is that median household income has not risen. That too is unacceptable. You know, recent polls also say that about 80% of Democrats have nothing in common with Republicans, and about 75% of Republicans have nothing in common with Democrats. Presumably, independents have nothing in common with anybody, uh, perhaps not even themselves. I'm not really sure. But I find these stats to be absolutely alarming. I also find them to be facially incorrect. I, I don't care what you are. Don't you want your grandkids to succeed? Don't you want your children to succeed? Don't you want to make sure that we have decent health care? Don't you want to have a, have a job expectation with skills? that you're gonna to continue to acquire so you can become everything that you wanna be? Don't you wanna have that level of freedom? Don't you wanna be able to speak about it and pursue your dreams? I totally, absolutely unaccept the premise that we are so divided in this country that we cannot come together on fundamental principles like that. You know, David French, the political commentator, recently wrote that our country is drifting apart into diametrically opposed camps. And he, he called it the disunited states. And for those of you that saw the front cover of The Economist, I think it's last week's or this week's, I always get confused. It's the disunited states. And they did give some recognition to, uh, to David French and their piece about it. But I think David is the one who probably coined it. And French was building on his 2020 book, the first sentence of which says, it's time for Americans to wake up to fundamental reality. The continued unity of the United States cannot be guaranteed. And French was echoing what President Lincoln said about 160 years ago. If destruction be our lot, we must be its author and finisher. As a nation of free people, we must live through all time or die by suicide. Well, Lincoln certainly knew what he was talking about. I think David French does. And we've got to become the United States once again. Staying with the United States theme for just a moment, I've often heard you make the impassioned plea that the 21st can and must be America's next century. What reform do you think is needed? Well, we need an awful lot of reforms, but certainly as it relates to the workforce. First and foremost, we need a national plan that addresses the kinds of issues that we're talking about here, the kinds of issues that are articulated, um, illustrated in Deaths of Despair. And we need a spokesperson for that. We need a leader. I often talk about how I was influenced uh, as a kid growing up in Levittown, New York, when Jack Kennedy said, we're going to go to the moon. And you know, Sputnik was flying around him up there, and uh, we weren't getting along too well with the Russians. And once a month, all the kids had to go and do some kind of a special self-defense thing because we were worried that the bomb was going to drop on us. And Jack Kennedy inspired this country. Well, we need somebody to say, we are going to create a national workforce plan to address these issues. So the 21st is the next American century. Because 
I am not gonna go down and take the long dirt nap thinking that the 21st century is China. We've been looking for that leader. Was it Aristotle? Who was the guy who was walking around with the lamp trying to find somebody? Well, I guess my lamp is out because I can't find somebody who's willing to say that. And it seems so obvious to me. We need to get it as part of our national dialogue. We need presidential candidates to talk about it. We've got a lot of crises in this country. I'm not qualified to talk about most of them, but about the workforce, I think I know something. So we need to identify skills that are going away and those that are needed right now and those that are going to be needed in the future. WIOA, the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, which sends billions of dollars uh, in training out to the states, is going to be reauthorized next year in all likelihood. Well, that money needs to go to the states, but in connection with skills that are needed. They're not just sending out money because you're throwing money off the balcony. Our educational system needs to be reformed. We need to make sure that we're not only teaching the three R's, but the three C's, communication, collaboration, and creativity. We've got to provide for lifelong learning for all as skills are constantly evolving. We got to embrace apprenticeships as part of this solution. And we've got to stop thinking that college degrees are necessary for every job. Headline, they're not. Fact is that there's value in any kind of work. Not everybody needs to go to college. Not everybody should go to college. Obviously, that's an issue with respect to individual choice. But many people are going to be much better off training for specific jobs with very specific skills. And there's no shame in that. As a matter of fact, it all should be applauded. Just like my father told me, there's no such thing as a dirty job, kid. Because at the end of the day, there's always soap and water to, uh, to clean up at the end of the shift. We've got to stop talking about immigration reform, and we have to do it now. We don't have enough people. Our birth rate is at historic lows. And as a result of our complete immigration mess, we're not getting individuals coming to the country in order to be able to do some of these jobs. You know, we're going to build all of these chip plants, which is great. But who's going to do the jobs? Ray Curry, the head of the UAW, talked about how a third of his workforce may be decimated as a result of the transition from combustion to battery-powered vehicles. What are we going to do with the car mechanics who know how to do combustion engines that don't know how to do electric vehicles? What do we do when we close down a pipeline and we don't have a plan for all of those individuals that lost their jobs? We need a national plan in order to address these kinds of concerns. And we've got to promote worker flexibility and give workers tools like childcare and paid leave in order to help them work and prosper. I mean, those are the essential elements of the plan. This is not rocket science, but without a champion, without a leader, without making this a national priority, it's not going to happen. And that's one of my frustrations. Well, Michael, I think I fully understand why you always say now that at your age, you can't buy the green bananas. So the time is right for these investments for sure. So WPI just released a workforce study with the National Association of State Chambers that calls for many of these policy reforms you're talking about, including comprehensive immigration reform that includes, importantly, an overhaul to the country's visa worker programs that don't work for many industries in various sectors, a reauthorization of WIOA, 
that is sufficiently funded and flexible enough to encourage training and innovation, as well as solutions for the availability of childcare and affordability of housing to encourage labor force participation. Additionally, we just released our fifth annual WPI Labor Day report this week, which details other projects we're working on to address these issues. Please visit our website or reach out to us directly for a link to these publications. With that, Michael, what are your closing remarks, please? Shannon, I believe that the country may begin to come together when they see leaders develop a dynamic workforce plan. I believe that people with lifelong learning will start to live a life of hope again. I believe a great job means that household income will increase again. I believe we can and must become the United States. And I believe the 21st can and must be America's next century. Let's do all of this because it's the right thing to do. Let's do it because it's hard, because it's certainly, I can assure you, not easy. Let's do it for all of the Emmas and all of the workers of today and tomorrow. Let's do it on a personal note because I need your help to fulfill my promises I've made to all of my parents, including the one that I never actually had an opportunity to really meet. And let's do it for our country. Let's make sure that, going back to what Abe Lincoln had to say, that we will live through all time and that we will not die by suicide. So the question is for all of you, are you with me? Because if you are, let's hear from you and let's get engaged. After all, we got an awful lot of MS to save. We got a workforce to transform. We got a country that needs our help. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.